ask you, have you ever experienced choice paralysis? Has anyone ever had this experience where you have so many options in front of you that you are basically paralysed and you can't choose anything? Key example for me is streaming services. And I'm sure that I'm the only one who has this issue, uh, but we subscribe to a couple of streaming services and we kind of rotate through them. But I had a look this week at the ones that we are currently subscribed to to see how many items I had in my lists. And I discovered that I had over 100 in my list combined. <laughs> and uh, then I was even more horrified to recognise that that's not just movies, like that's movies and series. So some of those series have like five seasons or eight seasons or 10 seasons. And some of those have seasons of whatever, 10, 15, 25 episodes. So I started to think about, look, I'm never, ever, ever going to watch all of those things. But again, I'm sure you've never had this experience where we, on a regular basis, have movie nights as a family. And so we sit down and we decide we're going to watch a movie or if Ali and I have got a night to ourselves, sit down and watch something. So you open up the list and you start scrolling like, well, what should we watch tonight? What do we feel like? Should we watch like a comedy or a drama or an action movie? Or so we're scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And then you suddenly realise, I haven't checked what they've added recently. So I better have a look at that and go back and check. And then, yes, I better see, because there might be something that's new that's even better than anything in my list. And we might want to watch that instead. You end up spending more time scrolling than you do actually watching the movie. Am I the only one who's had this experience? Or uh, there are some others. Okay, good. It's confession time as we begin this. The reality is that that's true in a lot of areas of our lives. Where we get to this point where we just can feel completely overwhelmed that there's so much that we could do that we don't have a clue where to start. And so today we're finishing this series that we're doing over the last few weeks uh, where I wanted to spend some time as I began my time here at Richmond talking about some of the things that I think are most foundational uh, to my beliefs and what gets built out from that, but also some of the things that I think are the most important for us as a church as we begin this chapter together. And so we began by talking about Jesus as the centre of everything that we focus on. And then we talked about spiritual family, recognising that that is the kind of culture that we want to have as a church. And then last week, we talked about transformation, to recognise that when we focus on Jesus in an environment of spiritual family, then ultimately our lives are transformed and we mature into the people that God wants us to be. But I wanted to finish the series by talking about simplicity and being able to recognise that our spiritual journeys can feel very overwhelming as well. And so what does it look like for us to simplify things down so that we can start somewhere? So... Uh, if you have the Bible app, I'm pleased to say this week that uh, you will be able to use the notes. So I, I apologised on our weekly update this week, uh, and I would love to blame technology and say it was a glitch that was in the background, but no, it was completely my fault that this didn't work last week, so I'm very sorry about that, but it is working this week. So uh, you can go to more, bottom right corner, and then events, and uh, you'll see the outline there. You can jot your notes down, or if you've got a journal or a notebook, you can jot things as we go through today's message. Also want to just remind you that next week is a Q&R Sunday. So next week we are going to spend some time responding to your questions. And uh, so I want to give you an opportunity right now 
to send some through because we've got some, which is great, but we would love a lot more. And uh, I'm sure some of you are like, oh, I don't know, is that an appropriate question to ask? Is that an okay question to ask? Don't worry about that. We'll do any editing that we need to do, so <laughs> it's fine. But that's my number. So if there is a question you've been thinking about or there's a question that comes to you right now, like literally text that my phone is over there and I'm not going to be affected by it, but we do want to have as many questions as possible as we head into next week and then there's a panel of us that are going to spend some time responding to those questions. And they can be questions about Jesus, questions about Scripture, about the Bible, about uh, what it means to follow Jesus, about church, about what we're doing as a church family together, uh, anything that you like, or you can jot those down on a piece of paper and give that to me afterwards. Um, but that's what we're doing next week. So, as we think about this idea of choice paralysis and we think about our spiritual journeys, we can end up feeling a little bit overwhelmed in the same way. I don't know whether you've had this experience where you just stop and think about the enormity of Jesus' teaching. And like, where do I even start? As I think about applying what Jesus taught us and what Jesus showed us, where do I even begin with that? Or just think about all of the amazing stories that Jesus told, all of the incredible parables that he shared with us. Like, oh, I should really dig into some of those and really try and get all of the meaning out of them. Where do I even start? Or I know that I want to dig into some of the letters that are in the New Testament and be able to understand a little bit more about what it means to follow Jesus. Again, where do I even start? might even just think about, like the fruit of the Spirit. So the things that God wants to produce in my life, which of those do I start with? Saying, God, I want you to produce more of this or in certain seasons, any of this fruit in my life can be so overwhelming. And so the biggest challenge for us is to just find somewhere to start, something to latch onto. And so today I want to take a bit of time talking about a couple of examples of what that looks like from Jesus' teaching, because he is the master of simplifying things down for us, uh, but then also to share some practical examples of what that looks like for us as a church as well. So it's handy that we have this encounter that Jesus has with a religious leader uh, in Matthew chapter 22, who comes to him and says, Jesus, what is the most important thing to focus on? That sounds like a really, really good place to start. So Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. So just briefly, the context of what's going on here is that uh, the religious leaders are having more and more of an issue with Jesus and some of the things that he's saying. And so they have been trying to trap him and to catch him out and to say, well, if we can prove that he's not that great, then that'll be all right. So they come to him with some pretty complicated questions and Jesus nails it. Like the, the answers that he gives to these questions are astounding. And so... <laughs> far from what the Pharisees and religious leaders were hoping is going to happen, the people around him are like, this guy is incredible. He's so profound and amazing in the answers that he's giving. So they gather up together again to go, okay, one last time, let's really try and catch him out. So verse 35, one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? So law of Moses, I don't know what conjures up the images for you, but when I think about the law of Moses, I can't help but think about Charlton Heston. So that big, glorious beard, just look at him. What a glorious man. 
the Ten Commandments movie where he portrays Moses being given these instructions that God gave to the Israelite people to say, this is what it looks like to live in a full, complete relationship with me and a full, complete relationship with each other. These are the most important things for you to focus on together. But the Israelites were really, really great, and I know none of us ever do this, at finding loopholes and being able to say, okay, well, that's good, but I can just kind of bend that rule a little bit or just kind of squeeze my way around that a little bit. And so when that happened, more laws were added. Then they would find more loopholes and so more laws were added to that until ultimately there were over 600 laws that you needed to know as a faithful Jewish person if you were going to get everything right. So the religious leaders come to Jesus and say, well, out of those 600, which one do you think is the most important? And Jesus' reply is absolutely staggering. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbour as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So Jesus answers with something that would have been very, very familiar to the people who were listening because it's this thing called the Shema, which we find in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, that Jesus repeats word for word here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. And the reason why the people who were listening would have been familiar with this is because this is something that as a faithful Jewish person, you would say morning and night. Every day you would get up and you would quote that. And every night you would quote that as well. As a reminder, this is what's the most important thing for me to focus on, to remember that God wants every single part of me. It's not just about my actions, not just about my words, but my emotions, my thoughts, my spirituality, every single part of me, God wants me to love him with all of that. The message talks about loving God with all of our passion and all of our prayer and all of our intelligence. It's this really holistic understanding that God wants every single part of who we are to be surrendered over to him in a full and loving relationship. So you can imagine that many of the religious leaders, when they heard Jesus say this, would have said, well played, Jesus. Yes, very well. That's That's a very, very good answer. Nice answer. But Jesus catches them by surprise because he says, oh, and by the way, there's a second part of this. And it's really important to recognise Jesus doesn't say that's the most important thing and this is the second most important thing. Jesus says there's another thing that is equally important and that is to love your neighbour as you love yourself. Jesus makes it so clear that the outward flow of us surrendering our lives to loving God is that we love the people around us. That should just be the natural byproduct of what happens. But again, that can feel a little bit overwhelming. We think about the enormity of trying to love all of the people who are a part of our lives. This is another great example where we need to just simplify down and Jesus gives us a clue to say, love others as you love yourself. In another part of Jesus' teaching, he says, do to others as you would have them do to you. So it's this simple ability to be able to stop and think, when I'm going through a hard time, what does others expressing their love for me look like. Do that for other people. When I'm in a conversation with someone, what does them loving me well look like? I know that I have their full attention, that they're listening to me and they're paying attention to what's going on and they care about what I'm saying. So when I'm in a conversation with someone, loving well means doing the same thing. 
When you haven't been around for a while, you've missed a few weeks, what's a loving response that you would hope from others that they would check in on you? So loving well means that when you think of someone who you haven't seen for a few weeks, you just send them a message. Hey, just want to see. Is everything going all right with you? Instead of being overwhelmed with all of the things that we could do in terms of trying to love people, we just need to start somewhere. Just do one thing with someone who comes to mind for you. Now, it is important to note that sometimes this idea of loving others means that we can kind of interpret that as being nice to others. So we kind of assume that loving means I'm just nice to everyone, never cause a ruckus. Sometimes loving well means that we do the hard things as well. So sometimes loving well can mean having a hard conversation with someone. Sometimes loving well can mean that I completely disagree with someone but still choose to walk forward with them in a relationship and still continue to love them even though we disagree about something. So it's not necessarily just about being nice to everyone but about this question, what is the most loving thing to do in any situation that I find myself in? So I was thinking about this this week and the reality of what faithful Jewish people do, which is to get up and to quote the Shema morning and night and to remind themselves this is what's most important to me. And I wonder what would happen for us if we applied the same thinking. That if we got up every single morning and simply asked ourselves, what does loving God look like today? And what does loving people look like today? What does that mean? I think about the people that I'm going to see, the people I'm going to connect with. What does it look like to love them well today? And then each night to just pause and reflect and think, what were the moments where I know that I loved God well today? What were the moments where I know that I loved people well today? And also to take some time to say, I know there were moments where I didn't necessarily love well, but that's okay. I know that God loves me and that God forgives me and tomorrow is a fresh start. So I can close the book on that and get up tomorrow and say, what does it look like to love well today? Jesus says, if we do that, we do everything that is required of us, which is really, really amazing. We start with love and we work our way out from there. That's one example of simplifying things down. That we don't have to be overwhelmed with all of Jesus' teaching, we just start somewhere. Another example comes from Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, So don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat and what will we drink and what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is probably another area where we experience choice paralysis at times, where we feel overwhelmed about the enormity of everything that's coming up. Think about what's coming up this week, next week, the rest of this year, all the things that might or might not happen, and we can just kind of get stuck. So Jesus, again, simplifies everything down and says, don't do that, just focus on today. Put me first today and trust that all the rest will take care of itself. Now, it's important to note that Jesus is not saying, so worry is bad and you should never worry because that's impossible. So if you're someone who has never worried in your life, that's great. Let's have a conversation afterwards because I'd love to learn from you. The word worry that we have translated as worry actually means don't overthink things. 
Jesus was originally saying, don't give things a second thought and a third thought and a fourth thought. Don't obsess about things, which is where we tend to go wrong, that we worry about what could happen, might not happen, might happen, might not happen. Think about it, overthink it, overthink it, obsess about it, and then get stuck. So Jesus says, don't do that. When you find yourself overthinking things, stop. Focus on today and what it looks like to put me first today and then move forward. This also doesn't mean that we never have to think about the future. So for those who are very present-oriented and who, great, I never have to worry about planning anything. This is so good. Thank you, Jesus. No, that's not what he's saying either. And as someone who is a planner and a strategist, part of what I do some days is to focus on planning and strategizing for the future. But that's today. And I don't obsess about those things. I don't overthink them something that some of us who are strategists and planners can do, but to be able to say, what do I need to plan today for what's coming up? So put Jesus first today and then allow the rest to take care of itself. Another example, Jesus' instructions to his first disciples were what? Two words, follow me. That was it. Jesus didn't say, If you can prove to me that you've got your life together, then we can move forward together. Jesus doesn't say, go away and sort everything out and then together we can move forward. Jesus doesn't say, answer these theological questions and if you get them right, then we can move forward together. Jesus says to a ragtag bunch of misfits, follow me. Let's just start walking together and we'll work it out as we go. But as is so amazing with so much of what Jesus does, there's so much power in those two words. It's not just about following Jesus for those people, but it is also about following Jesus' example. What do you need to do? Just look at my life. Look at the way that I live. Look at the way that I interact with people and follow my example. So that might be another helpful thing for us. If we're struggling to know where to start, Jesus says, follow me. Wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, Just take a step with Jesus and continue to move forward. So I wonder whether there is one piece of Jesus' teaching, it could be related to some of those things that we've just talked through, or something else for you, where you would say right now in this moment, there's something that jumps out at you and you're like, yes, that would actually be helpful for me to take into this week. We will have a usual reflection time at the end of the message, but I just want to pause right now to give you an opportunity Is there one thing that's helpful for you to write down or to jot down to remind you as you move into this week? Following Jesus for me just looks like this. This is one thing to take away. Just take a moment. If there's anything that comes to mind, jot that down, then we'll continue. So I also wanted to take a couple of minutes this morning to just talk about some practical examples of how we live this out at Richmond, because simplifying things down is something that we do think is really, really important. And so if you've been around for any amount of time, uh, you have probably heard the phrase Richmond bingo. Hands up if you have heard the phrase Richmond bingo. Yes, quite a few of you. But I know that there are some of you who've also said, I've heard that phrase and I have no idea what it means. So Richmond bingo is this idea that there are some words that we use a lot on a regular basis. And at times we have been known to play a little bit of bingo, where if someone says enough of these words and someone yells out bingo and away we go. 
So it's a bit of a jokey thing that we do, but it's actually really, really important and very powerful because each of the words that are a part of our Richmond bingo card are words that we say are very, very important to us. These are ways that we have distilled things down into some simple words or simple phrases because they convey so much meaning to us. So once again, if you've been around for any amount of time, you have probably heard us use the phrase King Jesus. And that might seem a bit strange to you, depending on the church traditions that you've come from or what your upbringing has been. But for us, that phrase King Jesus conveys a lot of meaning. A lot of times in uh, our Bibles, we'll read the word Lord Jesus, and that's because that was a very countercultural phrase that the first people who followed Jesus and the early church used, because the phrase that was normative in Roman culture was Caesar is Lord. Caesar is the most important. Caesar is effectively king. And so the first Christians said, well, we believe Jesus is Lord, and we're going to use that as a way of saying, no, Jesus is more important than Caesar. Now, for us, saying Lord is not a word. I don't know how many of you use Lord on a regular basis in your normal everyday lives. And so we have chosen to use the word king instead, because in some ways it helps us to remind ourselves that Jesus is number one in our life. But the word king has a lot of additional meaning to it, because we know the sort of king that Jesus came to be, which is a king who surrenders power rather than taking power up a king who chooses to include rather than exclude. And as a king, Jesus comes to establish a kingdom, a way of life that we all get to enter into and embrace. And so when we use the word King Jesus, we're summing all of that up in just these two little words. And so that's why we use it a lot. And we hope that because it's maybe not as foreign, although if you've been around for a little while, it becomes very foreign. And so that's a challenge in itself, that it does convey meaning to us. Another word that we use a lot is imagination. This is a very important word to us because we do want to continue to stretch ourselves about what could be. We don't want to be satisfied with just what is. We want to dream. We want to imagine what the future could be. We believe that God has so much more that he wants to do in us and through us. And so we want to be creative about that. We want to imagine the future that God has got for us. And so we use the word imagination. We use words like participation and partnership. It's funny because I, I wrote down when I was planning this and hadn't looked at the card. We use the word invitation. That's got to be on the bingo card. It's not, which I was interested in. So, but we invite people to participate and partner with us. And those also are very intentional words that we don't want people to feel a sense of obligation. We don't want people to feel a sense of expectation. You have to do these things. We believe that Jesus invites us to partner with him and to participate with him. And that's the experience that we want to have with each other as well, is that we're also invited to participate and partner with each other. That we don't do this on our own. We do this together. We don't do this as passengers. We do it as participants. So there are all these words that we use that are very, very intentional ways of us simplifying language down that we hope is helpful for you that then conveys meaning about the things that are important to us. We also try to keep our structure as simple as possible. So we try not to fill your lives up with a whole bunch of church programs, but just do a few things well. So we have our gatherings on Sunday mornings, and that's another word that we use very, very intentionally because it's not just about this time that we spend in this room. Our gatherings are about the time that we spend before 
and the time that we spend afterwards being able to gather together. As a part of our gatherings, we want to invest in our next generation, and so we have kids' ministry and youth ministry that are a part of that as well. But this is something that's really, really important to us. We then have our gospel groups, which are small groups of people that get together during the week to be able to spend some time journeying together and being honest and authentic and real with each other, being able to unpack Scripture together, and most importantly, talk about what does it look like for us to live following Jesus together. Now, if you've been around the last few weeks, you know we're kind of in the process of (laughs) recalibrating them and working out where they're all at. I'm pleased to say we're nearly there. And so if you are interested in jumping into a gospel group or re-engaging with one, then come and see me or come and see any of our leaders. We would love to chat with you more about getting plugged into one of those. But that's kind of it. Those are the two major things that we run. Now, we do some other things on a regular basis. So we have rhythms of being able to gather together to be able to spend time uh, at our family nights, which we did a couple of weeks ago, uh, to be able to discern together about future direction and ask some good questions and hear some stories of things that are going on. And we have dessert nights, which we've got one that's coming up very soon that we're going to start publicising shortly, which is an opportunity for us to come together and have some great food, but also to invite others to get to know us and to raise awareness and funds about things that matter to us. And so we do dessert nights on a regular basis as well. But we try to keep things as simple as we possibly can. And there's two reasons for that. One is we hope that that means that you can commit to the things that we're doing as much as possible. And we recognise we've got very full lives, but we don't want to fill your life up with a lot of things. We hope that that means you can prioritise the things that we're doing together. But we also hope that it means that it gives you lots of time to be able to participate in the things that Jesus is doing in and through you that aren't a part of what we're doing here. That we can be engaged in relationships with our neighbours and our friends, that we can be passionate about what we're doing as families and in our workplaces and at our schools and our unis, and be able to be engaged in the things that Jesus is doing when we're scattered, not just when we're gathered. So we don't want to fill your life up so you've got no time or energy to do that. We hope that that releases you to be able to do that in all the different circles that you walk. So we try to simplify things down. And there's lots of other examples that we could use. We could talk about our spiritual journeys. We can get overwhelmed about that as well, but that's a part of this as well. Just pick something. If you're feeling stuck in your walk with Jesus, then talk to someone. Have a conversation. Say, I don't even know where to start. The Bible app is fantastic. There are so many reading plans on it, which again can feel overwhelming. Just pick one. There's an app that a number of us use called Lectio 365, which is a fantastic app that has morning and evening devotions for you to be able to use. Just pick something or just pick something to read. And if you're not sure where to start, we always say that Mark or Luke are great books to be able to start with or Ephesians. So if you're not sure, just pick one of those. But if you want some help with that, have a conversation with someone. Start somewhere. And in terms of plugging in here at Richmond, if you're not sure what your next step is, then have a conversation with us because we do want you to feel a part of what we're doing and to find the on-ramps into the things that we've talked about. One final note before I give you an opportunity to think about what this actually looks like is that this is something that's important not just to do when we feel overwhelmed, but to do on a regular basis. Because just like in our lives, we can end up filling them up with a whole bunch of stuff. And in our houses, we can have a whole bunch of clutter that ends up appearing. And so we're in the season of spring. So many of us will do spring cleaning, just kind of refresh things and get rid of some stuff that's been around. We know we should just like make things simpler for us. 
we need to do some spring cleaning in our spiritual lives on a regular basis as well. And sometimes it's good for us to just say, I'm again feeling overwhelmed about stuff, simplify down. What's the essence, the most important things for me to focus on during this season as I head into this week, this month, between now and the end of the year? Scrap all of the stuff, just simplify down. And I do want to say, if at any point you're feeling overwhelmed about that, we would love to have a conversation with you about it. I would love to chat with you about it. And if at any point you're feeling like life at Richmond is getting complex or out of control or I just don't understand what's going on, then come and let us know that because we want to hear that feedback because we do want to make things as simple as possible. But we know that stuff just piles up. Sometimes we need to do some spring cleaning as well. So come and have a conversation with us if you're ever feeling that way. But I want to give you a chance uh, to pause and to think about what this looks like for you. So as we head into this week, what does simply following Jesus look like for you? What does it look like? And again, this week, don't get overwhelmed with, and then that's going to mean that after that and after that and next year. No, this week. What's one thing that you want to take away from today to be able to hold on to through this week that helps you to be able to simply follow Jesus? Take a moment, spend a bit of time reflecting, and we'll come back and pray together. Jesus, thanks that you are so amazing at being able to simplify things down for us. That you came not to overwhelm us with a massive list of things that we need to do or a list of things that we need to understand, but to be able to just give us simple things that we can hold on to. But we thank you that as simple as those things are, when we begin to unpack what that means and the transformation that that brings into our lives and to the lives of the people that we connect with, that's astounding. And so we're grateful that you can take something so simple and use it to do so much. But we know that there are so many times in our lives where we do feel overwhelmed we recognise who you call us to be. We recognise the potential of who we can be. And sometimes we can just get stuck. And so I want to pray particularly this morning for those of us who are in that place. where maybe in our spiritual journey over the last little while, whether that's the last few weeks or the last few months, we've maybe just got a bit stuck. I pray that as we move away from today, that you would help us to just find something that we can grab hold of. One thing that we can do that enables us to step up and to follow you, to be able to take that one step that enables us to move into what you've got for us. Thank you that that's not something that we do because we need to earn anything. Thank you that that's not something that we have to do because we have to strive. We do those things because we know that it's best for us. We know that your way of life is the one that enables us to be able to experience the fullness of everything we were created to experience. And so we pray that as we move into this week, that you would help us to be able to take those next steps in simply following you and to trust you with the rest. We thank you that that's not something that we have to do on our own, but it's something that we get to do in community with each other. So as we move forward, we also pray that you would help us as we think about all of the enormity of all of the things that we could be doing as a church together, that you would help us to know the clear next steps for us to take so that we can be the people that you want and need us to be in this community and beyond. In your name we pray. Amen.